0: Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, to the worship team. Great job this morning. Thank you for those of you who join us online and at our Rossville campus, no matter how you connected with us, what location. We're thrilled that you're here. Hey, I don't have a Bible verse for you to turn to today. I will do one or two of those during the sermon. Most of them I'm going to put on the screen, but you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll just read there later on a little different sermon today. So I started a sermon series called Next. What happens after this? And over five sermons, I'm, I'm kind of going through the Bible and telling you what the future is going to look like. What happens next, either after we die or if the Lord comes again. So that first sermon, uh, we next, number one, we kind of looked at what the world's going to be like as we get towards the end times. And so today... I want to do something that I'm loath to do because you're going to hold me to it. And when Jesus comes again, you're going to be like, you got that wrong. And I mean, I know I got it wrong. I I'm, I'm, you know, I hate that. But, but I want to preach on this today. I want to talk about this today. The end is near, question mark, question mark. Truth be told, we used to talk about uh, the end of time all the time. I, I've told you before, when I was a young preacher uh, still working a full-time job but by vocational ministry I used to go to prophecy conferences all the time I'm talking about prophecy conferences out under a tent with sawdust on the ground and preachers preaching in times and I've heard preachers talk about dates and when Jesus would come back and we know There's a Bible verse that says we don't know, but we'd guess anyway, and I I remember why Jesus had to come back before 1988, and it was a very compelling argument, and why he had to come back before 1993, and there's no doubt he was coming back before the year 2000, 1997, be the latest we could possibly be here on earth, and here we are 2023. Is Jesus coming? Of course he's coming. Jesus is coming again, but we want to be very hesitant. As a matter of fact, we so leaned into prophecy in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, we heard so many sermons and conferences on prophecy. So, we've had the whiplash effect from that, so that now we never hear it. Nobody ever talks about Jesus coming again, nobody ever preaches about a timeline of when Jesus is coming again. So, that's what I want to do today. Today's not even a sermon, today is just kind of a a quick Bible study, and I want us to do and and, um, to just kind of talk about. When is Jesus coming again and what does that timeline, because I know this, A lot of times as preachers, we use words and definitions that you have no idea what we're talking about. And so today I'm going to try to bring some of those together and just finish with six reasons why I believe the end is sooner than you think. So here's kind of how today's going to unfold. I'm going to take a few moments here in the beginning and I'm going to put up a timeline. I hand drew myself. So you, it's going to be hard to tell it was hand drawn. It's so good, but you'll recognize it when you see it. Uh, But I hand, I hand drew it. And so I'm going to put that up, and then when I finish with that, I'm going to kind of quickly give you six reasons I think we're ushering in close to that time. Now, let me make this statement right off the bat, right up front. Here's what I want you to know. I don't claim to be an expert on anything. Right, I, I'm not telling you I've got this 100% right. I, I don't think I probably have it 100% right. I don't think anybody has it 100% right. And here's what I always say. They had thousands of years to prepare for Jesus coming the first time, and there were whole groups of people that all they did was studying Jesus coming the first time, and they missed it 100%. They weren't even close. All they knew was, we think he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's all they knew. And so, when I when I draw for you what I think is a biblical timeline, I am not claiming to be an end times expert, nor do I want to, because of all those end time experts that I dealt with in the 80s and 90s when I first went into ministry, they got it all wrong themselves. And so, I'm not putting a date on anything today, I'm not telling you when it's going to happen, I'm just going to tell you how I think it will unfold once it starts unfolding. So, I'm going to base everything on a graph that looks like this the end time timeline and then I'm going to take this portion and I'm going to blow it up a little bit and look at it a little closer now now this is not the scale this is not the scale as a matter of fact this gap represents seven years and this gap represents a thousand years if I drawn it to scale you couldn't have seen it so just hang with me and but just know nothing is the scale so the first thing I want to do this morning is define some terms There are words that we use when it comes to the end of time. Sometimes these words are not even in our Bible. And you're looking for this word in your Bible and you can't find it and you're wondering why are we using this word that's not a biblical word. Others are in our Bible but you don't really know what we're talking about. So I'm going to go through and the first thing I want to do is define about four words that you need to know when it comes to this end time timeline. Word number one, all four words are going to be rapture, tribulation, second coming, and millennial. You'll hear me use those words all morning long, and I want to give them a little definition for that. Rapture, tribulation, second coming, and millennial. So let's start. Number one, let's define rapture. I told you you'd never be able to tell I hand wrote this, and you can't read this. This is for my benefit, but let me talk about it for a moment. What do we mean when we talk about the rapture of the church well here's a definition the, by the way the word does not occur in the Bible at all it's one of those words that if you're going through your Bible trying to look for the chapter that talks about the rapture you're never going to find it so why do we come up with the word rapture well it is a Latin word meaning a carrying off a transport or snatching away a carrying off a transport Or a snatching away. So the word rapture is a Latin word that we just continue to use even in our English vocabulary today. What is the rapture? The rapture is when God takes all believers from the earth in order to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out on earth during the tribulation period. God will resurrect all believers who have died, give them glorified bodies, take them from the earth, along with all the living believers who will also be given glorified bodies bodies. Now you see I have a scripture reference there. Would you turn there 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 and look beginning in verse uh, uh, 16 with me if you will. 1st Thessalonians 4 verse 16. Here is the rapture. Here's where uh, Paul is using this term that rapture that we see in the Latin verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up, there's the word rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So there you see the whole doctrine of the rapture explained. Here's what it means that Jesus is coming back. And by the way, this is not as much Jesus coming as it is our going. In a minute, I'm going to define uh, the second coming. It is the second coming of Christ. The rapture is not the second coming. The rapture is us going. It is when the dead in Christ, those that we come and do a funeral for, who knew Jesus. By the way, they just weren't good people because good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And so those saved people that we've laid in a casket and laid in the ground, knew Jesus as Savior, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will get up first. Why? Because they have six feet farther to go than we do. So they will get up. We'll look at them and say, I know that guy. He looks better than he did on earth. And then at the same time, we'll all rise up to meet the Lord in the air. It's the rapture of those who've died in Christ and the rapture of those who are alive in Christ. And so we call it the rapture of the church. Let me define another word, the word tribulation. The tribulation is the seven-year period of time when God will finish his discipline of Israel and finalize his judgment on the unbelieving world. During the period known as the Great Tribulation, the wrath of God will be poured out on an unbelieving, wicked world. Believers are saved from the wrath of God by the rapture. so you have the rapture that occurs The tribulation period that occurs, it lasts for seven years. Now, if you go back and look at it, there's several views of the tribulation of the rapture. For example, there's the pre-tribulation view of the rapture. There are those that believe the rapture of the church will set off the uh, tribulation period and the rapture happens before the seven years. There's some that believe that uh, in a mid-tribulation view of the rapture, that that is in the three and a half year period. And I'll tell you what's significant about that in a moment. In that three and a half year period, God will rapture the church in the middle of the tribulation. There's some that have a post-tribulational view of the rapture, which means we'll go through all seven years, and at the end of the seven years we'll be raptured up. And then in recent days, there's the pre-wrath view of the rapture, which uh, those believe that we'll go through part of the tribulation, but before the wrath of God is poured out on an unbelieving world, we will be raptured away. And I'll just be honest, that's where I land, by and large, me personally. Now 20 years ago, I couldn't say that without being ostracized in, in preacher circles. But I'm pretty comfortable saying it today because nobody else knows any better. And so that's kind of where I land is a pre-wrath view. And I'll show you in a graph where I think it comes in. So this tribulation period is a seven-year period when in reality, the Antichrist is in charge of the world. And then Jesus pours out his wrath. God pours out his wrath during the what we call the great tribulation. Tribulation period. All right, So rapture, tribulation. Let me define the second coming. Now, what do you mean by second coming? Well, his first coming was as a baby in the manger. His second coming will be as king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus will arrive with the host of heaven at his side, a glorious return. It is not the rapture where we are snatched away, but it is the glorious return of Christ. Some Old Testament prophecies have yet to be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled in the second coming and it will occur at the end of the tribulation. So You've got the tribulation period. You've got the rapture. At the very end of the tribulation period, you have what we call the second coming. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse number 11, we see this second coming taking place. Here, here's what he said. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes more war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God, a reference back to John chapter one. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the almighty And his name, and he has a name written on the robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. This second coming of Jesus, his first coming, is in a manger. This second coming, the entire host of heaven, and that would include all of us who know Jesus as Savior, will come down from heaven and God will defeat the unrighteous. That's the second coming. Then finally, the fourth word I want to define is the millennial. What is the millennial? It's the title giving to the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. Six times in Revelations, it is said to, in Revelation 20, it is said to be a little reign of a thousand years. And at the conclusion of the second coming, Jesus will establish himself as king of Jerusalem, sitting on David's throne. There are still some Old Testament prophecies that have to be fulfilled by Jesus ruling on the throne of David. They will be fulfilled during the millennial time. And we as believers will rule and reign with him at the end of the thousand years. Satan will be released for his final charge and for his final defeat. So you have tribulation, you have rapture, tribulation, you have second coming, and then you have a thousand year period on earth where Jesus and us are ruling with Jesus. So having defined that term, let me me draw for you how I believe the Bible lays out the end time timeline. And, And by the way, aside from that one thing about when I believe the rapture will occur, this is what The vast majority of Baptists believe, dispensationalists believe, however you want to word it, this is where the vast majority of people are. This period is the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period. So let me me blow this up and make this seven-year period bigger. So this, right now, is just the seven-year period of the tribulation. So we see it in Revelation chapter 4, the four horsemen, or or Revelation chapter 6, rather, the four horsemen who will be unleashed on the earth. Now, it's interesting to know about these, you've heard them called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's it's interesting that God is not causing these things to happen. He is revealing the unfolding of these things happening. So we're beginning to see them. So there's four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, let me start right here. The beginning of the seven-year period will be when the Antichrist signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. How do I know when the tribulation has started? When the Antichrist pins a peace document with the land of Israel, Daniel 9 talks about that peace document. When the Antichrist pins that document and brings peace and security to the whole world, we are at the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, we don't know who the Antichrist will be, we don't know when this will happen, but we'll. We'll recognize the Antichrist as he is coming on stage into the world. It will be fairly obvious, in my opinion. And he'll sign a seven-year treaty with Israel to bring rest and peace, not just to the Middle East, imagine the whole world. So, you understand in recent days, maybe you didn't get it, how close we have been to World War III in recent days. right? We, we've been... We've been within a whisker of World War III with Russia invading Ukraine. And we don't really have a dog in that fight. And we've still been really close to it. Imagine when Russia invades Israel, which is what's coming. And America and other nations rally to the side of Israel. Over not, there will be World War III on the brink. Everybody's finger will be on the button. And somewhere during that time, the Antichrist will step onto the scene and he'll broker a peace deal with Israel, its allies, and the rest of the world. When that happens, the tribulation has begun. Now, if you believe in pre-tribulation rapture, you believe that's going to happen about the same time in all probability right before the rapture, uh, right before that treaty or even at the same time. If you believe in a mid-tribulation, you believe it happens three and a half years into it and I'll get to that in a moment. So that happens, Daniel chapter 9. Then Revelation chapter 6, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse and we see the imagery of horses. First of all, a white horse rides out. That white horse represents here the Antichrist and him taking over the world. He will become a world conqueror that doesn't have to mean by war but i believe it does have war elements in it for sure because the second thing is a red horse And the red horse represents war and death that comes about because of those war elements. Thirdly, we see a black horse, and the black horse represents famine that is brought about by the Antichrist, waging war and causing famine in the world. We've already seen how, how precarious our supply chain is, right? We've seen it. When... When a, a huge, vast percentage of the world's wheat is farmed in the Ukraine, and who would have known it, especially for non-North America parts of the world, it came out of Ukraine. Uh, already, they've been talking about the famine that's going to ensue because of what's going on in Ukraine, and so this famine from the war is going to circle the whole, whole earth. And then the fourth horseman will be a pale horse, pale horse, and it represents death by famine, by plagues. And even by wild animals, the Bible says. So the Antichrist is on the scene. He signs a peace treaty with Israel, and immediately and the four horsemen of the apocalypse are released. Again, this is not God causing this to happen. this is God recording uh, it happening, and it will be the Antichrist conquering with war and death and famines and, and famines by plague, uh, death by famines and plagues and even wild animals. and all of that is in the first three and a half years. Of the tribulation period it will be a horrific time there may be in the beginning some good times in the very beginning but they will quickly and ultimately deteriorate well then the bible talks about the midpoint the three and a half year period of the tribulation here's a piece of history you need to know antiochus epiphanes ruled syria from 175 to 164 bc he was brutal brutal in his persecution of the jews As a matter of fact, he outlawed Judaism and ordered all the Jews to worship Zeus. Well, even a pagan Jew is not going to, even a non-religious Jew is not going to do that. So he ordered them to worship Zeus and they refused to worship Zeus. So he marched his army into Jerusalem. He went to the temple and he declared himself God. Antiochus Epiphanes did. And he did the most horrible of things you could do to a Jew. He sacrificed a pig on the sacred altar of God. And he made the Jerusalem temple a temple to Zeus. And he enforced it with an army. I believe the Bible says that that is exactly the mirror. It's called the abomination of desolation. It's going to happen at the three and a half year period. It's going to be a little different. The Antichrist is going to walk into a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. There is a chance he will sacrifice a pig on the altar in a sign of disrespect to the Jewish nation. But he's not going to demand that the Jews worship Zeus. He's going to demand that the world worship him. The Antichrist, Satan himself is going to declare himself God at the three-and-a-half-year period and demand that he be worshipped by the world as a God. Now, if you're mid-tribulation rapturous, you believe that's when you're going up in the air. After the three-and-a-half-year period is going to be the time the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. So somewhere after the abomination of desolation, Things are now, God's just like, all right, I'm done with this. And God's going to walk into this space, and he's going to pour out his wrath on an unbelieving world, and it will be horrific. Before the great tribulation takes place, and here's really all we know about the great tribulation, is that it will be towards the end of the seven years. We don't know the timeline. I don't think it's going to be three and a half years. It's going to be... Uh, towards the end of that three and a half years maybe last for months even or, or, or for a couple of years I believe that there's a good chance the church will have to go through all of this and that will be raptured before the wrath of God's poured out here's what we know explicitly from the Bible a Christian will never ever endure the wrath of God because Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross for us so we don't ever have to endure the wrath of God. So before the wrath of God is poured out, that's why uh, it's called a pre-wrath rapture. Before the wrath of God is poured out, uh, the church then will be raptured out into heaven with God. And it, it, it gives meaning. to It makes, it makes uh, Matthew and Daniel and some parts of Revelation 13, other places make more sense if we have to go through parts of this, but we're, we're rescued before the wrath. At the end of the seven years, those who believe in a post-tribulational rapture, which is almost no one, by the way, almost no one believes that, but it's a thing, uh, they believe you rapture out. But then Armageddon happens at the end of the seven years, and then the second coming happens at the same time, and it's all said and done. That is a, that is a map of the seven-year period. Well, then you, you go back, after that, you then see a thousand-year reign with God on earth, us as believers, a great white throne judgment, which is where all the believers of all ages will be judged, Revelations 20, 11 through 15, and then after the great white throne judgment, we are in eternity forever. The word forever has no meaning uh, at that point. We are in eternity forever. So tribulation period, thousand years, great white throne, and then eternity, and time is no more. Now, now that we know all of that, preacher, do you think we're close? I think we're close. Do you hear that story about two preachers who were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that said, the end is near, turn yourself around before it's too late. And cars are driving by just making fun of them. Finally, a car drove by them and said, leave us alone, you bunch of religious nuts. And he sped on by. And suddenly, They hear screeching tires and a big splash. And one preacher looks at the other one and says, maybe we should just change the sign to say bridge out instead. (laughs) Like the sign may need to be a little clearer. And can I tell you, when we get to the end of times, we wish the signs were a little clearer. But we're closer to the end of days and the rapture of the church than you think. Let me give you six reasons why I think we're closer to the end. I'll be finished. Number one is this. Currency is consolidating. Currency is consolidating. Revelations 13, 17. So that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. The Bible gives a strong indication that the end of days the world will be operating off one currency. So imagine just for a moment a world where Americans and Canadians and Brits and Japanese and Chinese all purchase goods and services with the same currency. That would mean the planet has a single central bank that runs, if there is physical currency, I don't think there would be, that they would start off maybe with physical currency, but they would establish rates, and maintain control on trade and capital flows as well. In September 1988, The Economist published uh, published an article entitled One World, One Currency. And the magazine's cover page featured the proposed, what they called at the time, the Phoenix Currency, with the year 2018 stamped on the coin. They said, we believe that a global currency could be instituted by 2018, Spurring economic prosperity without risk, disorganization, or volatility. Well, it didn't happen by 2018, but here are some of the things that we're seeing that are moving us in that direction. What are some of the things that we're seeing that are moving us in that direction? Well, number one, we are moving into a cashless society. More and more businesses are moving to cashless operations. You, you, Most sporting events today are cashless. We just got back from Disney World. They don't want cash. They want you to scan something. COVID accelerated cashless payments. And so we're seeing it happen faster and faster and faster. Number two, we're seeing a rise of a digital currency. We've seen it in recent years. Bitcoin and other similar currencies have taken the world by storm. And I'll be honest, I don't understand enough to explain it, but here's what I know. It gives the world a currency that supersedes boundaries in a nation. You say, preacher, what's the problem with a cashless society? Well, to me, the problems are easy to see. First of all, you don't have a physical asset in a cashless society. What do you mean by that? Well, you can't shove money under your mattress for a rainy day in a cashless society. It's all out in the cloud somewhere. Not only that, there's always, and pardon the expression, there's always a paper trail of what you spend. Now, it won't be a paper trail, but it'll be a digital trail. You won't be able to spend $1 without the government knowing what you spent that dollar on. You say, was that bad? Anything that gives a government that too much control is bad. Number three, technology breaches could drain your finances. Imagine a hacker getting into your bank. I worry about that today. A hacker getting into your bank and emptying your bank accounts and not a thing you can do about it. A technology disruption could leave you moneyless. So imagine you go to pay at a store and the internet is down and all of a sudden you can't pay. That means you don't have a dollar. Not only that the government could take complete control of your finances without any permission or oversight whatsoever. Like I, I know this has nothing to do with um, politics, hear me, but when we announced that the government's going to hire, what was it, 28,000 more IRS agents? How many? Does that give you a heart attack? Like, I, I, if you work for IRS... Thank you. Please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. But imagine the government in control and having total oversight. In short, a cashless society makes it easier for one-world ruler to control who gets money, who does not get money, who can spend, and who cannot. We're already accepting the premise of a cashless society. You have a debit card. Uh, Probably Apple Pay, Cash App, Venmo, that list goes on and on. And then this, just read this article three weeks ago. Amazon pushes palm paying tech into the Whole Foods stores. Have you seen this? You go into a Whole Foods store, you just put what you want in your buggy, you walk through the outdoor, and before you walk out the outdoor, you just scan your palm, and it recognizes your palm print, and debit your checking account. You say, what's the big deal about that? Sounds convenient. It does sound convenient, doesn't it? But can, can I um, can I just show you a Bible verse that might make you go, uh-oh. Revelations 13, and it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one may buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of his name. This whole passage that talks about the mark of the beast is about paying with your head, or can we say it this way, your face or your palm? We first thought the mark of the beast might be a tattoo or mark. We then thought it might be a chimpanzee. implant. Now I'm pretty sure it is facial, facial recognition and fingerprint or palm scanning. That technology has not been available until now. And now we see it unfolding and currency is consolidating. We, we went to Disney. I don't have time for all this. I gotta, I'm going to have to preach like this. So listen faster. Y'all not listening fast enough. And so... We went to Disney with the grandkids and then we took a quick cruise after that because you need, you need a vacation after Disney, right? So we took a really quick cruise after that. And used to when you got off a cruise when you've been in a foreign country, you got off and you had to fill out paperwork and you had to stand in a customs line and they would go through your stuff and all that. This is not. We haven't cruised since 2019, uh, the last cruise we took. We haven't done it since 2019. And you know what we had to do this time? I'd never seen it. They just scanned our faces. We just got off the boat, and I was like, where's the paper to fill out? they stand that line, stand there, look at that camera. We're going to do facial recognition and scan your face. Currency is consolidating. All right, I got to move so much faster. Number two, security is the top topic in the world. Look at what the Bible says. Well, I'm moving so fast. About the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, right, peace and security then sudden destruction will come. Peace and security. So what's going to help usher in the end times is a world begging for peace and security. And since 9-11, we have traded freedom for security and it's never a good trade. Today we want cybersecurity and border security and nuclear security and terrorist security and personal security. And as we give up more freedoms to win security, it sets the stage for someone to step in and say, I can bring peace to the whole world. And when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel for peace and security, the whole world will rejoice in that security. Josh, come on, get a song together. Just start playing because I've got to move quickly. Number three, the rise of unified spirituality. The rise of unified spirituality. Here's what he said, uh, that the coming of the lawless one is according to the works of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. They believe a lie. One strong delusion, in the last days, the Antichrist is coming with signs and wonders and deceptions. And there will be people who believe everything he does. And Paul tells us that the unrighteous will be fully deceived. Why? Because they've already rejected the truth of the gospel and a salvation. We made the mistake years ago of fighting atheism. Atheism was never going to be the final religion. The Antichrist does not want you to be an atheist. The Antichrist wants you to be spiritual and worship him. The world is headed to a unified anti-Christianity. Pew Research said, uh, I'm not even going to read all that. Pew Research said basically this, that Gen Z is coming along and has no trust in old organized religion, but wants a deep sense of spiritual well-being. There's coming a one-world religion, and we see its precursor now. Can you imagine a a TikTok viral celebrity religious person? I can. I mean, you got makeup girls with five million followers on there. Imagine a religious celebrity and the viralness at which that would take over the world. And he'll ask you to be part of his religion. Years ago, we wouldn't have believed we could pull the world together to believe the same thing. But listen, now you are ostracized if you don't fall in line with the theology of this world. What do we call it? You're canceled. And when they studied a younger generation, they were willing to punish people who did not believe what they believed. And if a far left ever takes over America, I promise you Christianity will be canceled. How do we know we're getting close to the end times? Number four, biblical morality is on the decline. You know that. I'm going to skip this whole part. Uh, I'm going to skip it. Y'all watch. That's good preaching right there. I'll get to it one other time. Biblical morality. Number five, technology advancement puts the end times within reach. Here's what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says uh, in, in Matthew 24 that the gospel has to be preached to the whole world. There was no way to preach the gospel to the whole world. We thought television would do it. Television wouldn't do it. But guess what will allow us to preach the gospel to the entire world? The internet. Mark Zuckerberg is still doing the project to bring solar-powered internet gliders that would circle the world and bring... and bring. Um, technology to bring the internet to the farthest reaches of the jungle and he said our mission is connect every person in the world you don't do that by having service people pay for he wants to bring free internet to the entire even undeveloped world and technology technology advancement puts the end times within reach and then number six i'm done the start of social currency the start of social stand with me i'm finished stand with me i'm not finished but just trying to give you something to do stand with me China introduced this, and, and um, uh, like they're, I just read an article two weeks ago. They're downplaying it. But here's how social currency works. The government will give you a 1,000 points of social currency. If you commit a crime, you lose points. If you jaywalk, you lose points. If you don't pay a bill, you lose points. But if you donate to charity, you get points. If you play too many video games, this is true, you lose points. If you're declared dishonest, you lose points. And if you get, and you know how you pay for uh, city transit? You walk on a bus, it scans your face, it reads how much social currency you have. And if you have enough social currency, you can ride for free. If you don't, you have to pay. And if your score drops too low, you lose social privileges, like you're blacklisted. You're not even allowed to eat out at a restaurant. Government resources, like taking the bus, could be revoked. You get a good score and you get more privileges. And it's all done immediately through facial recognitions. In the hands of a worldwide government, there could be nothing more terrifying. Imagine this you go to church. You lose points. You worship Jesus, you lose points. You declare Christ is the only way, you lose points. In the start of a social cur- currency in China, you let the wrong people get in charge in this nation, and the end is very, very near. Now, I want to be clear. The Bible says in Matthew 24, but of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I can't tell you when Jesus is coming. I can map out the events the way I believe the Bible unfolds them. I can't tell you when all this is going to take place, but I can tell you these signs make me believe it's a lot closer than we think. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, our pastors are coming. If you're watching online, Pastor Jeremy's got a great word for you.
1: Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that message. And um, man, take away from that this morning is our culture, our society, our world, um, the things that are happening um, are, are leading us to what the Bible says is gonna happen. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready for Jesus to come back. And so um, part of being ready is beginning that relationship with Jesus. It starts with you understanding that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God. You've gotta be willing to admit that. You've gotta believe that Jesus died on the cross and when he died on the cross, man, it gave you victory over sin, hell, death, and the grave you've got to believe that and then you've got to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior and maybe you've decided through the whispers of the Holy Spirit to you this morning that today is the day you need to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life if that's you tell God this Lord I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin I believe that you sent Jesus And that he died on the cross and that he was buried and on the third day he rose again I believe through that you offer me the gift of salvation in this moment Lord I ask you to come into my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit Lord I give my life to you in Jesus name if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning I want to tell you Um, Welcome to the family. We're so excited about the decision, the most important decision you'll ever make. We wanna help you take next steps. And so, if you would, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you'll text me, just text my cell phone, it's 423-800-1871, 423-800-1871. Just send me your name and I'll connect with you. Um, this afternoon. Hey, it has been great to be together this morning. I love our time of Word and worship each week. God bless you. See you next week.